The Ewan Grant Podcast, the Limestone Coast Triple M. G'day, it's Ewan. Welcome to the Ewan Grant Podcast and welcome to everyone joining me on the Listener app. Lobster Coasters, we have got an absolutely massive podcast. Troy Bell and I are going to talk palliative care. Tony Passon is dropping by in a moment to talk foot and mouth, to talk all about the Building Better Regions Fund and to talk about the possibility of a nuclear future for Australia. Also this morning, Jade Hill will be talking break-ins. She'll be talking tool thefts and she'll be talking all about how to keep country South Australians safe on our roads. And if that's not enough, this weekend, big things are happening at the Cave Gardens for the Digital Garden. We're going to find out all about what's going on. Georgina Davison from the library is going to join us. Let's get things underway. Jade Hill from Saipole. Jade, g'day. Good morning, Ewan. How are you? Oh, Jade, I'd like to say I'm good, but um, when we talk about what we're going to talk about in a moment, not so good because you guys have been flat out of late and you've had to do some terrible things. We've had a number of fatalities on our roads. What is going on? Yeah, it's, um, it is really sad for everybody involved, but there's also some strong messaging that needs to come out of it. And I know our superintendent has been in media this week. Um, we are frustrated. Um, but the most recent one, emergency services rushed to Grubbed Road at Pathway after receiving a report of a single vehicle crash just before 9pm on Sunday the 7th of August. A ute had collided with a tree and CFS crews were first on scene and immediately commenced CPR on the injured driver. Paramedics quickly took over but sadly the 41-year-old Pathway man could not be saved. Major crash investigators did attend and examine the scene. The road was closed um, but it was reopened a short time after and the local man's death is the 46th death on South Australian roads so far this year. So the road toll at the same time last year was 61. Mm. There have been long-standing campaigns. The South Australian Road Safety Campaign targeting country drivers in rural areas reinforcing regional people do die on regional roads. And you may have seen the billboards along our highways. But figures were released by SA Police that show almost 70% of fatalities on regional roads in South Australia over the last five years are actually people who live in regional areas. And the fact is approximately 40% of fatalities on regional roads occurred within 20 kilometres of the home. And given that only 30% of the SA population live regionally, this is really concerning. And sadly, we have seen another life lost on on Limestone Coast roads, but um, that's another person who's not going to see the future, which could have been, or go home to their family. Another family destroyed by loss a community affected and emergency responders exposed to trauma as well. So nearly all collisions are avoidable, Ewan. If people are not committing those fatal five offences, if they're sticking to speed limits and driving to their ability in the conditions and taking regular rest breaks, if they're driving only when they have not been consuming alcohol and other drugs, if they're wearing seat belts, if they're avoiding distractions such as mobile phones and GPS in the vehicle and also distraction by other passengers and not doing the wrong thing with blatant disregard for the road rules, they will actually probably find that they arrive at destination B quite safely. And these things don't just happen. Um, it is those general, generally those offences which cause us to see um, serious injury and death on our roads. So time and time again, some aspect or another, we are seeing these offences as a contributor. And these things do kill people on South Australian roads. And whilst the investigation is in its early stages, we know more widely from investigations of other fatal and serious crashes that there is always an element of um, the fatal five involved in these incidents, generally speaking. Mm. Jade, 
One of the other things that we need to be looking at at the moment, there's been a number of break-ins to businesses and sheds, and there have been a whole lot more tool thefts in the limestone coast. Um, police, again, must be tearing their hair out at, uh, at brazen thieves doing their own thing. Yeah, it is another frustration for us, and um, Mount Gambier and surrounds have seen quite an increase in businesses and shed breaks where power tools are generally targeted. Um, expensive items, and they uh, do cause substantial loss to business. So South Australia Police urge all shed and business owners and managers to secure not only the tools in lockable storage, but also lock the sheds that they, these items are stored in. Often these premises are targeted due to being in remote or isolated locations and are occurring generally um, between hours of darkness. So um, we're talking overnight when you know these properties are unattended, they are isolated in, you know, secluded locations. Other security measures to put in place to disrupt this type of offending is really good sensor lighting, alarms, additional secure fencing, good quality CCTV cameras positioned well at the site and also ensuring keys to storage areas are kept in a separate, separate secure location. And also in other parts of the limestone coast, fuel has been targeted with diesel stolen from properties and machinery. So also, again, ensuring that vehicles are secure and the compound they're stored in is also secured. If anyone has any information in regards to break-ins um, or serious criminal trespass offenders, by all means they can get in contact with Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000 or go to the website. It's available 24 hours, 7 days a week and you can remain anonymous. Hey Jade, it is always good to find out what the police are up to, what things we need to be looking at in the Limestone Coast. Uh, unfortunately, we had to touch a couple of topics that are, you know, uh, not not really good to talk about. But thanks as always for joining us this morning. No worries, thanks. Stay safe. Jade Hill from Sapol. Now, Limestone Coast is one of the things that took place last week. First sitting period for the forty seventh Parliament. A man who was there is Tony Passon, member for Barker. Tony, good morning. Morning, you. Mate, how was the uh, the first sitting of Parliament? Well, it was different, obviously. The first time I've spent in opposition, but uh, the sense uh, I got as I left Parliament was um, a, a, a mixture of sad and disappointed. Sad because we saw the trial of the cashless welfare card abolished, uh, which will lead to um, bad outcomes for uh, communities in which that Carter's trialled and disappointed because we also saw a legislated 43% target for admissions, which uh, disappoints me because the only real impact that will have is to drive electricity prices up and lots of people in my electorate uh, use electricity to stay warm and barely can afford their electricity bills at the moment. And, mate, it brings me to an interesting point. One of the things that you guys were talking about during the course of this week is to uh, examine the potential for nuclear power technologies. Um, tell me how the, the coalition is, is hoping to push this. Well, we want to have a very considered um, investigation and debate in this country. Currently, um, we can't even consider nuclear power because there's a uh, prohibition on doing that and nuclear technologies in the country. Our view is that we want to achieve low emissions uh, and affordable and reliable electricity at the same time. We've always said that it's technology, not taxes, uh, and that everything should be on the table. And so it's a continuation of that uh, position. The reality long term is renewables are great, but unless you can firm them up with dispatchable power, they're very expensive. And of course, the advantage of uh, nuclear power, which uh, powers a lot of 
uh, Europe is its dispatchable uh, power that you can rely on when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. Mm. Tony, any any reason why I mean successive governments haven't looked at nuclear over the course of you know a couple of decades? Because we've all known that power prices are going up and up and up. Um, it it seems like a, a no brainer to at least explore it. Well, that's right. It is a no brainer to explore it. Um, I think the reason why people are disinclined to or have been traditionally is because coal has been so cheap uh, in Australia and so unlike uh, uh, European nations where they don't have those reserves they've had to lean into nuclear. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the point now is if we are serious about carbon emission reduction and we aren't going to lean on our coal reserves in Australia then nuclear is the pathway and it's at least worth having a discussion about Uh, but I think a combination of ideology and people hung up about uh, events in the past. Um, nuclear reactors today are not the Chernobyl-esque nuclear reactors of the 1960s. Mm. Uh, and so I think we need to move into the uh, new era that and embrace this form of technology. Tony, we talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, foot and mouth disease and the the fear that we are going to see foot and mouth disease come into our country. There have been a number of developments to, since then, but have we gone far enough to protect our uh, our country communities? Well, so far, so good, um, Ewan. I mean, I'm as nervous as anyone uh, producers are on tender hooks. Personally, uh, I would have liked the government to move faster uh, and more decisively, um, but we seem to be seeing uh, a series of measures rolling out slowly, including yesterday in what I think we can describe is the th- at least the third wave of, um, of measures that the government is implementing. Um, let's hope and I genuinely hope that we are doing enough I'm just concerned that we aren't uh, and that we should be taking measures like banning all um, food imports from uh, hotspots including Indonesia uh, and we should be inspecting every single piece of luggage coming back from Indonesia the fact that during the week um, some Muppet decided to bring a a Macca's Happy Meal back from Bali I know what were they thinking oh well, I tell they, you they what, weren't. they weren't thinking, and they weren't thinking about the eighty billion dollars a year this country would lose immediately and overnight, were we to see an outbreak. And mm. you know, I'm pretty certain there are Macca's outlets in Australia selling, you know, McMuffins. So, um, but it, I suppose it highlights the risk that we are talking about um, a one in eleven, uh, well, a one in. 10% chance effectively, technically an 11.6% chance that we will see FMD in the country. That's as it's been assessed by the Agriculture Department. I keep thinking about rolling a dice 10 times and hoping that it doesn't come up six. Mm. Um, that's where we're at at the moment and we need to take every measure we can right now to drive the likelihood of this coming down and I don't think we've acted decisively enough. But if anyone is listening to this and is intending to try or to Bali or Indonesia, leave your gear there. Leave your shoes there. Throw it all away. Don't put your, uh, the Australian farming sector at risk. And, mate, of course, if, if foot and mouth disease were to come into the country, the, the $80 billion hit is only a, a small fraction of the pain that we would go through, and we would see cost of living uh, pressures increase uh, exponentially, and, and that's something that we're trying to curb at the moment as well. Yeah, well... Um, 
I catch myself thinking about the impacts every now and then of uh, an FMD outbreak, but then a bit like the full-term impact of COVID, you have to stop thinking about the long, the, the various impacts because it becomes very scary. I mean, mm. if you're thinking about our region, uh, an FND outbreak means that we don't export any more red meat uh, for many years at, in a best-case scenario. Um, so um, that means uh, livestock producers won't have that as an avenue. Um, a lot of them are geared up heavily towards livestock production and can't uh, pivot quickly to other forms of uh, agricultural endeavour. So um, this would be a very bad thing. But uh, you and you know you mentioned cost of living. Um, the other sense I got in leaving Canberra um, last week was uh, I fear that there's a real disconnect at the moment between Canberra and community. Mm. Uh, community is focused squarely on the cost of living. They're reminded daily when they fill up their tank at the petrol station or they go and do their groceries or they get their electricity bill. And in Canberra, we seem to be talking about uh, issues that are really interesting to debate but aren't going to do anything to alleviate cost of living pressures. And I, I think that's a real disappointment, uh, but it's one that this government needs to um, consider seriously because Australians are struggling with cost of living pressures right now. Without a doubt. Now, mate, we've talked an awful lot over the last couple of years about Building Better Regions Fund. Uh, we have been uh, very, very lucky in the Limestone Coast to receive a whole lot of money from the federal government in regards to this, but it looks like the Building Better Regions Fund is going to be put on hold. Well, we've had five really successful rounds in the southeast. Uh, in particular, has benefited from those. Um, there are currently um, applications into round six, including but not limited to the District Council of Grants application for funding to upgrade the Mount Gambier sale yards. Um, I'm very nervous um, that Labor won't commit to um, undertake round six or complete round six. Announcements for round six were due uh, by the end of August this month. Um, not only will that not happen, but there is no confirmation that round six will take place at all. So uh, I'm feeling right now for applicants who have made that application, including the District Council of Grant, but more than that, um, Labor are now not willing to confirm ongoing rounds of the BBRF. So um, that makes me incredibly nervous because the BBRF is about social capital, it's about projects in regions, it's about uh, regional communities. Uh, and we've now got a government that said, well, we're not going to proceed with round six, or at least they're not prepared to come out and say they will proceed with round six. Uh, and they're equally um, uh, indicating that they don't think that this program is worth continuing with, um, both of which I think are really bad outcomes for mm. rural communities, including ours. Absolutely. Hey, Tony, you're back in the uh, the Limestone Coast this week. How long before you're back in Canberra, mate? We're a month before we're back in Canberra, so we've got a good solid month to be in and around the electorate. Uh, which will take me from being sad and disappointed to being uh, happy and excited because always best place to be is at home, you know, uh, in community. So I'm looking forward to that um, uh, as we spend the next month getting ready for two sittings, two sitting weeks in September, followed by a budget in October. Mate, we will catch up between now and then. We'll talk more about what's going on in the world of politics. Thanks for dropping by this morning, mate. 
Thank you. Now, Limestone Coasters, from the member for Barker to the member for Mount Gambier, it's time to talk health services in the Limestone Coast. Troy Bell, the member for Mount Gambier, joins me on the line. Troy, good morning. Good morning, Ewan. Good morning, listeners. Now, mate, last week you and I talked, you were on a fact-finding mission in Adelaide, and as part of that journey, you got to check out a, uh, a pretty cool facility. Uh, you were looking at Mary Potter House, a palliative mm. care unit. What were you doing up there? So palliative care for listeners who, who might not be aware is really the end of life uh, care that uh, um, you know we, we give to people in in those final stages. Um, you know, uh, some people um, you know want to pass away at home. Others um, are quite comfortable passing away at a hospital. But uh, a hospice is a a version of. Uh, of a hospital, um, but its primary purpose is uh, end of life care. So, uh, you know, the, the surroundings are, are very different. Um, the um, type of care in terms of the environment of that care is, is, is different as well. Um, so a number of people have come and spoken to me about um, end of life care and um, perhaps experiences that their family has had. Um, and that's that's led a, a group of people, uh, led by Maureen Clintberg, um, to start exploring, um, you know, are there better ways and um, uh, options for people in the limestone coast and, and end-of-life care? So uh, Jenny Hurley, who uh, many residents will know, is, um, um, uh, lives in Adelaide, but she's a major fundraiser for Mary Potter House. So she invited me through and... We talked to the um, the nurses, the uh, the doctors, and uh, really got to see firsthand what a, a purpose built facility actually looks like. And uh, I have to say, you and it was um, you know a, a really good experience to go through and, and see a facility that is purpose built for end of life care. And you know, unfortunately, the the old saying goes: there's, there's two things you're never going to avoid: uh, taxes and uh, and death. So, it, it is something that I think we need to put some uh, real effort into. And it was, um, like I said, uh, uh, a journey that we're on to uh, perhaps look at a hospice for Mount Gambier and what would that look like, um, and then what what steps do we got to take to make sure that we uh, uh, could have a facility, but. More importantly than that, a facility that uh, has longevity so that it's not relying on just one or two people. It, it has a system in place that uh, uh, you know, gives, gives it a, a, a long um, uh, future. And that's what I'm really keen on is, is building things that... Uh, you know, don't just come and go, but uh, stand the test of time. Mm. A bit like uh, the the story of of, of Bow and Dick Lodge and, and how that has considered continued to grow and uh, and assist people in the limestone coast over decades now. Absolutely, mm. yeah. I, I think Bow and Dick Lodge is a is a great example, led by a a, a very good board, um, and it you know it continues to. Uh, care for our um, elderly and, um, and and is a great asset to our community. So I know it's very early stages, Troy, and mm. and like everything is still up in the air. But I mean, what is the next step? I suppose in that evolutionary journey to try and bring this service to the limestone coast. Uh, yeah, it's a very good question, Ewan. And uh, part of the work today is sitting down and, and mapping that out. Um, you know, just off the top of of my head, in terms of thinking over the weekend. Um, I really think we need to get, um, first of all, the, 
the action group uh, together and 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 tour the uh, uh, Mary Potter Hospice. Uh, pretty much do the same experience that I've done. Um, but we also need to make sure that uh, key people within our, our health service uh, do that same tour. Mm. Uh, there, there's a lot of goodwill at the moment. So in terms of raising money, I'm pretty confident we could uh, um, put some stuff together there to, to raise the funds to um, you know, create the building. Uh, one of my jobs is to go and talk to the state government about um, funding in terms of uh, nursing quotas. That gives it longevity, of course, if, uh, if the state government are paying for the nurses. Um, really just putting those, those moving bits together so that uh, we can go and um, present a, a very good package. Hey, Troy, I cannot wait to talk more about the idea mm. of bringing a service like this to the Limestone Coast. Fantastic. You've had the opportunity to uh, to go and check it out and uh, and that you are passionate about the idea of helping the Limestone Coast to grow and prosper. Absolutely, mate. Uh, like I said, you know, the, these facilities um, are common in, in a city like Adelaide. Um, we need to make sure that we've got access down here for our community and Thank you for your time uh, being able to talk about it. What a sensational idea for the Limestone Coast. Now, Limestone Coasters, if you haven't been down to the Cave Gardens to Thuggy to check out what is going on, this weekend is a prime opportunity to do so. Georgina Davison from the Mount Gambier Library joins me on the line to talk all things digital garden this weekend. G'day, Georgina. Good morning, Ewan. How are you? You're good, Georgina. You and I talked a couple of weeks ago about the digital garden and what was taking place over three huge weeks. This weekend is going to be massive. This weekend is going to be massive. So on the Saturday night, um, we're going to have on the library veranda, we're having a youth market. We've got buskers. We've got markets, obviously, with arts and crafts and all sorts of things made by the youth themselves, and they're going to be for sale. So come and check it out and support our local talent. Um, the buskers will be great. So I don't know if you've heard them before, but there's lots of great talent in this town with music as well. Without a doubt. Uh, so, yeah. And then you can wander through, if you like. The um, There'll be like a nice lounge area there for everyone to relax. And then you can wander through the digital garden down to um, the Riddock, where there'll be the artisan market. So they've got lots of stalls um, in the in City Hall. There'll be lots of food trucks. There'll be just organised chaos, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds lovely. Now, for people who want to go along and be part of everything that's going on at the Cave Gardens on Saturday night, look, what time are you guys going to kick off? So it's at five o'clock. So from five o'clock, come on down. There'll be yeah, loads of food trucks, as I said, and all the other activities. Um, and then, of course, the lights turn on at six. So heaps of time to get in, have some fun, and then go explore the garden. Now, Georgina, a lot of people will know that my mum is currently in hospital. I haven't been able to get down to the Cave Gardens to check out the uh, the digital garden. But you have, and uh, I've got to know, what's it like? It is awesome. So I've done it twice. Um, and, and as you walk through, like it's just incredible, all the different interactive activities, the photos you can take. There's a skier where you can pretend like you're skiing. There's... <laughs> Yeah, there's a jumper you can pretend you're wearing. There's the I am here and it says Mount Gambia, so that's fantastic for people to spread around. Um, and then if you walk into submergence, well, if you, yeah, you walk actually inside it, you stop and just take it in. It's like you're in another world. Unbelievable. And then, of course, jumping around on the pool, on the um, pads as they change colour, that's heaps yeah, of fun. Yeah, that, that pool pad looks just amazing and so much fun. Yeah, it's so great. I just reckon everybody should get down there and experience it. So once in a, well, once in a lifetime for those things, I think. 
each and every night, Digital Garden is taking place this weekend and next weekend. There are some really cool things taking place in the Cave Gardens to go along with the digital, with the light displays. The Artisan Markets are taking place this weekend, 5pm till 9pm. Georgina, great to talk to you this morning. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's podcast. I'll be back on Tuesday for everything Limestone Coast. You can catch up with me live on the radio, 6am weekday mornings on the Limestone Coast, 963 Triple M.